Ladies and gentlemen, calm down, calm down. We're back. We're back. Open Godcast 25 is your discount code you can use for electric performance. If you want to get thick, mean, lean, you want to get some fat, juicy butt cheeks from squatting, <laughs> <laughs> then use their discount code and do some freaking work. They're not going to inject synthol into your rear end. You have to do the squats yourself. All right. <laughs> So go out there and use it. Uh, we support election performance and everything they do. And we support these two gentlemen that we are now interviewing on our show, Open Garcast 25. Am I rusty with my English speaking? Perhaps a little bit. But that's because we haven't done Open Garcast in a little bit. We had a little break where I didn't have to have a guest on. But now we're back to interviewing people. Damien and Austin Orande. I know nice. their name and I know how to pronounce it because Nailed I am it. a good friend. We talked at Third Coast Grappling about getting them on the show. They're both IBJJF referees. They both just came off of big wins. They were like, Atlanta Open? Eh, cool. Let's win that and pay. So we're going to ask um, – first of all, Danny O'Donnell and, and the Orande brothers are joining me on the apparently the Jake Watson <laughs> rambling show. But we're going to ask Damien first. Damien, how was Nogi Pants? Take me through it. Yeah, it was really good. had a like near-perfect performance, I felt like. Uh, had three fights in a 14-15 man bracket. Uh, submitted my first two guys and then won on points in the final. So it was perfect. No points scored on me. I uh, couldn't ask for a better performance. Not a single moment where you were like, not one, just pretty smooth sailing the whole time? Uh, just my, after my first fight, man, the weight cut, I, I was feeling it pretty good. I was, uh, I didn't tell anybody. The only one that knew was like Austin at the tournament. I was like dry heaving in the trash can. It was awful. Oh, man. Oh, that's awesome. The worst feeling, man. That is so, that's was like, Oh, no. This is not going <laughs> to end well. Dang. All right. Well, Austin, now the question goes to you. How was uh, how was Nogi Pants? Man, it was great. I fought up uh, three weight classes into the super heavyweight division. I uh, tapped out my first guy in about four or five minutes, and then I went into the finals and uh, won by one advantage. It was two advantages to one in the final uh, winning. And then I went into the open class, and I fought the same guy I fought in the final first round. And I messed his foot up in the finals, right? I attacked a toehold, and it popped, but he didn't tap, of course, right? So in the division, I went after that same foot, and I got the, the submission victory. On the open. In the open class. And then my second round in the open class, I lost – or I'm sorry, I won 2-0. And then my third round, I lost to Igor Feliz. Feliz. Uh, he won the whole open class. So Damn. not exactly how I wanted, but, you know, it was a close fight. It was a good fight. So – all right. So you compete in middleweight normally, and you went up to you said two weight classes up to super heavy or three weight classes up to super heavy. Yeah, so two, three, something like that. So what was like the the decision behind that? Was it do you feel Man, more comfortable have, fighting bigger guys, no gi or no gi? I feel amazing fighting bigger guys. The, the only guy I lost to that day was a lightweight. You know, he was the lightweight champion, uh, and I just have such a good track record, right? I've actually like counted up how many times I've fought super and ultra heavyweights. I fought 25 different super and ultra heavyweights, right, throughout my whole career. Uh, I fought over 27 fights, and I've only lost three of those fights. And two of the guys I've lost to, I've come back and beaten. So, man, I feel amazing fighting the open class. I, I pray to draw the super heavyweights and the ultra heavyweights to fight. You know, my game is just so conducive to it. A lot of 50 50 a lot of leg locks, a very flexible guard, you know, so it just works out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I, I feel like a lot of people who compete gi and no gi, 
they they will say something similar to that where they like to fight heavier opponents nogi um jake do you feel like that you that resonates with you where you like to fight bigger guys nogi as well back when i dabble uh i dabbled in jujitsu's satanic uh cousin uh, <laughs> nogi Just kidding. no back when i dabbled in nogi man i i felt like it was definitely conducive to my game too how tall are you austin Six foot, six foot, six one, somewhere around there. Six foot, six one. See, I'm six, I'm not, not to brag, but I am two and a half inches taller than you. Um, so, no I'm geese. taller than Jake, though, so it's all yeah, good. Uh, you're older <laughs> than me. Calm down there, old man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I feel like for tall people, it doesn't, it, like, in Nogi, you have less to worry about, in my opinion. In the IBJJF current rule set, I think it's going to change a little bit once you get into more of, like, 2021's rule set. Just because, like, a big guy throws a knee reap on you, you're going to be a little more scared that a strong-ass leg is locking down your hip. My opinion, right? You're looking at me like you're not scared of nothing. That's scary. <laughs> excited. But, uh, yeah, I know you're excited, but I'm saying like, okay, let me let let me tell Victor Hugo to pull out a full knee reap on you, <laughs> and then you're gonna be like, well, this is not exactly a fun time. Uh, <laughs> but I do think for the for if we're gonna treat the no gi rule set exactly the same as the gi rule set, which is what is currently gonna be like a month left of the rules, um, there's like not as much to be scared of in my opinion, just because like. For you, you just said flexible guard. That's a huge part of the note. Like, if you're in Nogi and someone almost passes, you can, like, slide through and finagle your way back to a guard much easier than if they made a grip on your pants and a grip on your belt and you couldn't hip out. So I think that um, for me, yeah, fighting the bigger guys, I'm more scared of a little guy that has a good underhook than I am of a huge guy who's going to smash me. I think that a little guy with a good underhook is going to make it feel like, why is this bug on me? And a big guy is going <laughs> to try to pass my guard. For sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So 100%. I want to kind of want to take take a step back and talk about how you guys got into jujitsu too, because I think you guys competed at at juvenile. Um, so do you want to talk about getting into jujitsu and what it was like competing as a juvenile? So we got I got into jujitsu because of him. We started at the same time. Uh, you know, Damien was the one that found jujitsu. I think through. UFC, yeah. yeah, like like most people, you know, watching UFC. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, I, I want to try this out. And I was like, hey, I want to try it out too. Why not, right? And we started jiu-jitsu and karate together, right? Our academy, first academy we started with did both, and we started doing both. Uh, we were with them for about five years or so, got our black belts in karate, and then we jumped over from, you know, that after we got our black belts. Uh, we stayed with jiu-jitsu, of course, dropped the karate thing. And then uh, we we switched gyms. We went from elite MMA to uh, Ramos. Ramos was our professor. We, my, most of my juvenile career was with Ed. Uh, and man, as a juvenile, it was my favorite, right? I, it's really when I started getting into jujitsu. I kind I kind of liked jujitsu through the early, you know, competing and doing all that kind of stuff. But once I hit juvenile one, man, it was like every weekend for me. And I had a great experience in juvenile. Medal at the Pan Ams both times. Never could at the Worlds. Won the Nogi Worlds. Um, man, it was just all over, all around those two years were my best years for jiu-jitsu. Yeah, it was those years that kind of made us like decide, you know, we were going like, to become full-time athletes. Wow. wow. Danny, do you notice anything kind of crazy parallel about their story? I do. That is the exact same beginning of my jiu-jitsu. As I saw a UFC fight, I joined karate and jiu-jitsu, and I quit One karate and jiu-jitsu. That's not important though, because that's not like that's. I wasn't trying to, you know, 
jerk myself off. Sorry, that's not <laughs> appropriate for the podcast, but I couldn't come up with another word in time. It's just like that. I was just saying that it's cool that you guys. I feel. I wonder how many people in jujitsu started in the UFC and or started watching UFC. Sorry, and um, and UFC fight did you guys watch? Do you remember? Me, it was Frank Frank Mir versus Brock Lesnar, man. When Frank hit oh, that really nice knee bar. Dang. That was a so great fun, one. Funny story about that knee bar is like our first class, I tried to do that knee bar on a kid in the kids' class. Was that – that wasn't UFC 100, was it? That was before that. I think so. I don't remember, man. It's so many years ago. That is, it was a lot of years ago. Yeah, maybe it's like 2008, 2009. That's a, that. long, that's a long, long time ago for sure. We've been Dang. training for 11 years now, so yeah. it's, been a, it's been a hot minute. Man. Ask yeah. Danny how long he's been training. <laughs> Danny, nine how years. long he's been training? Nine, nine years. <laughs> well, almost ten, actually. Closer to ten. Nine and a half. Yeah. Since he was your age. <laughs> no, I was way older than you guys when I started. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, no, since he was their age currently. That's what I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, we probably started around, because I started in 2011-ish. Early 2011. So maybe like a year after you guys started. Is that right? Yeah, we started 2009. 2009, okay. Nice. All right, cool. Yeah. The difference is you guys were juveniles. I was already 21 when I started. <laughs> 10 and 11 years old when we started. Yeah. So you guys, you guys as brothers have your own academy, Orande or Brothers Jiu-Jitsu. In, where, where are you guys located? So we are 90 miles east of Houston is the easiest way to, to plan it on the map. We're close to the Louisiana border. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So how's yeah. that been going so far? Take us through a little bit of how that opened and how it's going so far. Man, it's really good. Uh, we open. We're coming up on five years now, anniversary. So there's like a really long backstory that we won't get into, but we ended up back over here. This is our home hometown area. Uh, we were training. We started training in Houston. That's where we were living at the time when we first started jujitsu. And through like a big chain of events with our professor at the time, we ended up back over here in this area. And we ended up just digging our roots back in over here. And then stuff kind of went south with him and the guy he was working for. So he went back to Houston. And he knew, like, we didn't want to go back to Houston because we were back with our family. Uh, our mom started dating our stepdad at the time. So, like, you know, we didn't want to up and just move back to Houston. So he advised us to open uh, the gym over here in this area. And then five years later, here we are. We have two – like also said, we have two gyms over here now. Uh Doing, doing pretty well, you know, considering how 2020 has gone. Yeah, for sure. Actually, when we opened, Damien just got his purple belt like three months before that. Yeah. And uh, I was still 17 in a blue belt and in high school. Oh. Yeah, he said a year of high school. I still had like one month of high school left when we first opened. Dang. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. 17 and 18, that's how old you guys were? Yeah. Wow. So that that's that's pretty interesting because I feel like you recently probably came to the decision that you wanted to compete full time and make jujitsu your career. But yeah. I think a lot of like full time competitors they kind of have this window, maybe like into their mid twenties where all they're doing is training and competing. They're not having like responsibilities within academy. So like, what was it like opening the gym and having to balance both of those things? It was scary, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had you know we had really good focus. You know, me and him like knew what it was gonna take. You know, we trained a lot together. Like me and him, we had is me, him, uh, a blue belt or two, and a bunch of white belts, man. And we just 
stayed on the grind. Uh, fortunate enough with the gym, you know, we have our mom. She's in, in here full time. She helps us. So it's like uh, the three of us really balancing the running of the gym. And then me and Austin just focus on our training. Yeah. And pushing the training room. Like that's our job is the training room 100%. Yeah, it was, it's interesting. It's, uh, it was hard to grasp for the first year for sure. Yeah. You know, as a, a 17 year old blue belt that just got in the adult division, it was hard. It was mentally, I was like, man, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, but I'm, sure, I'm sure it can be like that. Yeah. Man, that's, that's a crazy, that's a crazy, uh, starting the gym story. I like it. You guys, have, you guys teach a lot. You guys teach a lot of classes too. I'm just looking at your guys' website. I love your website, by the way. And uh, by the way, it's orandebrosjujitsu.com. If you guys want to go there, and if you're ever in the uh, 90 miles west of Texas, <laughs> east, east of Houston, H east of Houston. Sorry, <laughs> 90 <laughs> miles east of Houston. I said west of Texas. <laughs> what part? Uh, <laughs> you're in the ocean. No. <laughs> Jeez. 90 miles east of Houston is Orande Bros Jujitsu, and they have their a whole bunch of um, actual information on their site which is uh are you guys gonna go oh speaking of texas are you guys gonna compete at uh, american nationals yeah it's funny you say that i'm actually fighting ultra heavy for nogi and nationals <laughs> okay <laughs> so let's take, a, let's take a step back then because you're talking yeah. like all you're basically just you know signing up for all these big divisions what does your diet look like now the day before a tournament because i mean damien you're featherweight right yeah cut it older like, brother yeah eight nine pounds okay eight, you cut eight or nine pounds all right so you, Damien, and Cam, like you got or uh, Austin, you guys stay together, right? And you guys yeah. travel together, you stay together. So you're cutting eight pounds. Austin is eating what? Gorging. Well, no, no, no. no fair. The first day of the tournament, I'm not gorging. The first day of the tournament, I'm uh, still watching my weight to make middleweight in the gi, right? So I'm always like. I'm eating, but light salads, wraps, those kind of things, protein shakes, if I eat at all the day before. I compete at middleweight for the gi, and then I gorge everything yeah. in sight until I compete no gi the <laughs> next day. If he can does, eat it, he eats it. Does, yeah. it not, does it not matter? It's like, hey, like I, I saw a, a freaking concession stand hot dog with ketchup yeah, and mustard all over matter. it, and a fat guy asks me, do you want this? You're just going to go, yes, I do. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my He's God. Like, He's like, dude, you read my mind. Dude, <laughs> you, you know the path to my heart. <laughs> so how how much weight have you put on in between that the time you competed middle and the time you weighed in for super heavy? None. Oh, really? You you yeah, stay the same weight? I 180 for I walk around I can eat anything and I won't gain a pound. Interesting. So he's so backstory on him like he's up about 10 10 12 pounds what he was earlier in the year. He's trying to move into like the heavier set of middleweight. You know he was mm -hmm. cutting the lightweight. He was doing the same as me like cutting six seven pounds. The January this year, I cut 12, actually, and it was yeah. just – that was my last time. Once I cut the weight, I uh, actually lost to Sam and a guy. I felt terrible. Um, it was a rough, Light. rough weight cut, so I decided to just to move up. So he's been lifting a lot, eating a lot, just trying to be, like, the heavier side of middle now where he's getting to that 180, 185 so he can come down in the middle. Yeah. Dang. And kind of fit the weight class. Yeah, you have the lightning fast metabolism too, I'm guessing. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Dude, it's a curse. It is. Everybody says, oh, it's a blessing. No, you're oh, not an curse. athlete. You don't understand. Like, <laughs> I want to be freaking – I got to fight Lucas Barbosa. Like, yeah. I don't wanna, this guy's giant. Like, I, I, don't, I don't eat enough. You know what <laughs> I mean? I can't. I, I have to eat 8,000 calories a day to be as big as that guy. But I can't physically do that because I will barf, you know? 
So I'm glad you share that little uh, struggle with me. 6,000 calories a day. Yeah, no, I have to do the same thing. But right now I'm just trying to get healthy dieting habits and have a good relationship with my food. That is what uh, Jordan Syed told me. (laughs) Smart guy, that guy. Anyway, um, so you guys are – it says on your – both of your guys' Instagram pages, both brown belts under Lucas Lepre. Yes. And how long have you guys been at brown belt now? So I got my brown at the end of 17. So next month makes three years as a brown belt for me. Awesome. So what's what's the future looking like uh, with competition going into 2021? Just not even thinking about like black belt or anything like that, but more thinking about uh, kind of the scope. How have you guys transitioned in like this whole COVID universe that we now live in? You know, our our mentality, not much has changed. You know, mm-hmm. we're still, you know, head down grinding. And then basically right now it's like whatever pops up, you know, we've competed everything uh, that has come up since COVID, you know, every like IBJJF event. Um, so, I mean, just, you know, whatever they decide to put out there, we're going to do it. All right. Um, yeah. I've been at Brown Belt for just over a year now. I got mine in September of uh, 2019. So, still pretty fresh on it. Still got a little bit of time. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I remember, I remember Brown Belt was like one of the most, I just felt like it was Brown Belt forever. And I, w- I was Brown Belt for about two and a half, almost three years. And I remember just being like, dude, I'm, I'm over it. I'm so over it. I want to compete because you because you guys are both killing it. And like uh, Austin, you're doing it already where you're doing really good. Damien, you're in a, you're established at Brown Belt. So like seeing you guys are definitely one of those competitors that Flo probably won't report on. But you'll, uh, <laughs> you guys did take a little bit. I was like, oh, that's probably not that funny. But uh, you guys are definitely going to be like one of the freaking black belts to watch out for. So and I knew that I've been had known that. But uh We'll report on you, so don't worry about flow. Oh, are you like, kidding? That's our job. <laughs> We're at the closed guard cast where you feel all safe. This is the open guard cast. My goodness, Danny. So all you right. guys said you started under Ed Ramos. So was he Atos? Is, is that the? Am I thinking about the same guy? Yeah. So we start. We started under actually like a smaller gym. It was just like a small. It's Houston-based elite mixed martial arts. We were there five years, and then we were with Ed for uh maybe a year and a half no two years we were at two years he gave us our he gave me my purple belt uh yeah and he was just at the time and then some stuff happened with him where he ended up branching up and now he's his own team he's uh he's established in houston now and then uh at the end of 16 we needed some just some more like uh guidance uh over the gym you know he didn't have a gym yet he wasn't very established on how to run a gym and we just needed that like strong mentor to help with the business, the jiu-jitsu, like everything. And then that's when we made the jump over to Lepre's. Awesome. Um, so Sixteen, you said, was yeah. with Lepre. Okay. Yeah, we made a relationship with him, and the sometime in fourteen is when we kind of met him and got to know him. So at the end of sixteen, we knew like that's where we wanted to be for our long haul. Yeah. That's awesome. We were we in our relationship was kind of built with him through the minutes. Raul and Gabby and all them we were uh, they brought him in for a seminar we did seminars with him we actually went out and did a camp with him in between opening our academy and uh, you know being academy list for a while right so we went and trained out there with him uh, went and did the Pan Ams actually didn't do well with the Pan Ams but went out there trained with Lucas for about two three weeks and then after that we just kind of we knew like that's where we wanted to be such a good person good guy you know he's done it all 
but he's like a good example, you know, just for the jiu-jitsu community as a all. And that's kind of what we want to be too. So it just made sense. So we had Giancarlo Bedoni on. Jake, was that like four or five episodes ago? Maybe? You know, Danny, we've done so many, it's hard to keep track. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it was about four or five episodes ago. Okay. So we, we asked him – yeah, he, he was super cool. So we were asking him about training with Lucas and what his experience was like training with him. And uh, so I'll just ask you guys the same question basically. Like what's different about training with Lucas versus the other professors that you guys have, have trained under? Yeah. So for me personally, right, every professor I've been under, right – I have a very unorthodox, very weird, I embrace the crazy uh, side of jiu-jitsu, right? Like rubber guard and the gi and the whole nine yards, right? <laughs> wow. I think that everybody tells you, don't do that. Don't do that. Right? And all That's that your game. Do, like, that doesn't work. That's not going to work. Don't do that. No, you need to do it like this. No, you need to do it like this. And for me, I've always been, you know, really tall and long and skinny in the small, small, you know, weight classes. So... It was working. It always worked, you know. It was like, if it's working, why, why stop doing it, you know? And when I went over to Lucas's to train, he embraced that side of me. He embraced like, you know, I know this is what I do, but if this works for you, man, you keep doing that. Keep going with that game, you know. Uh, you know, like I really grew my 50-50 as a juvenile, and you know, early into my adult career with him encouraging that, you know, him and saying like, you know, if it's working, keep doing it. If it's not broke don't fix it you know and all my other professors tried change and say like man that's not gonna work don't do that like you know he kind of embraced the the creative side of me to keep doing the crazy stuff yeah yeah no just his support man you know he's very supportive uh he's always always there if you need something advice jujitsu non-jujitsu like doesn't matter like he's just he's a good good person uh like we said what we wanted to be around and uh yeah, that's that's him. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of of Cobrinha in a way, and I know he like trained uh, under yeah. Cobrinha coming up, but like they're just so professional with everything. Like, yeah, their academy, the the way they teach, the way they compete, like everything is every aspect that at least that you know they make public. It seems like it's very professional. Very pre- like like Lucas always says, everything's like very precise, and that that's him. He's got everything down to a T. And it's not fake. That's the that's the best part about it because I've been under a couple. Or, you know, I've seen a couple academies, I've been under, but seen a couple academies. Well, they'll say the right things and they'll do the right things in social media. But when they're outside of the eyes of the public or outside of social media, they don't do the same, you know. Yeah. And Lucas is always the same, right? It's always very professional. It's always very supportive, right? If he says something, he means it. Yeah, I think finding a instructor with that kind of – those kind of qualities is super amazing too because not only – you see sometimes, and this is across all sports – a competitor will be really good as a competitor, but then like they kind of flop as a coach or vice versa where they weren't a very good competitor, but they're a good coach. So finding one or the special few, I guess, where they're like like the Galvaos and the, the Lepreys who are amazing competitors, but then they have these amazing teams too, wow. where I think that's a super special thing that every – I mean you guys are going to be following that model. You guys have – or you already are anyway, where you're amazing competitors, great people, and – Sorry, using different adjectives there makes it sound like you're not amazing people. You are, but you know what I mean. I just thought yeah, about that. Yeah, for uh, sure. And you guys are trying to follow a model that has already been set of like, hey, you're an amazing competitor, amazing coach. Doing both is really stressful and challenging sometimes. You guys yeah. agree? Yeah, so, no, for sure. For sure. It's, it's tough. But it's made easy around here, right? It's like, well, I say like it's very hard, but at the same time, it's very easy because 
we have so much support here in our academy, right? Like my mom teaches, you know, when we're gone, my mom teaches, right? She's a brown belt as well. Uh, my stepdad teaches, right? My wife teaches the kids, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we have such a good support group where right? me and him are gone training at a camp, right? Like he went to Israel in January for a whole three and a half, no, three and a half, three and a half weeks, three and a half weeks I was right? To go train and do a camp over there that he's, you know, they sponsored him to go out there and teach and train and do seminars and that kind of stuff, you know, and we were able to do it here. No problem, you know? Yeah, uh, so like the it gives the peace of mind, like having the the backbone of the gym and all that stuff taken care of, like makes our competing much easier. And then when we're in town, we're able to just do our thing as well. Yeah, and, you know, we if we need a break from teaching, hey mom, you know, can you teach my class? You know, or you know, my wife, hey, I need the kids class taught today so I can rest. I had a hard day at the gym, and she'll cover me. And you know, my mom covers my stepdad, all my sister. Right, it's a big family that teaches and trains, and we all do it together. So. No matter where Man. we go, like, we were at, you know, uh, Pan Am's Nogi. They were in Houston coaching the team. Yeah, we had like 25 competitors at a Houston tournament. and they That is coach. amazing. That is really cool. You know, Danny, I know you had a question about that. About that. Like, that's so cool they have a family. I know you wanted to talk about that. I actually want to digress a little bit. You said you went to Israel. So yeah. – what did you What did you get to do down in Israel? I want to hear about that trip because I actually told Danny I my like number one place I want to go to do jujitsu. Like whether it's a tournament or a camp or freaking teach, like it doesn't matter. Yeah, I want to go to Israel. It, it was it was awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to go like sightsee a lot because we mm -hmm. were training so much. It was so what the guys did over there is they brought I think eight or nine uh, high level competitors to teach the camp. So we were helping them prepare for the Europeans. So we were training twice a day, six days a week, man. Uh, so I didn't get to go to, like, go to Jerusalem or anything like that. But I got to see a little bit of the city. But, man, the people there were awesome. You know, food was amazing. Like, really, really good food. Uh, just it was an amazing experience. Couldn't, couldn't ask for a better one. I Who were some of the other instructors that got invited? Say it again. Who were some of the other instructors that got invited? So it was a lot of colored belts mainly. So the only black belt there was Italo Mora. They got in mm, oh, uh, awesome. Italo and Talita Alancor. Uh, nice. Those were the two black belts that got invited. And then it was a lot of brown belts. Me, uh, Daniel Jr., he used to be Art of Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, he's a Nogi World Champion as well. And then, uh, and who else? Uh, Eduardo Hokey. He's like hitting the scene really, really hard right now. He's a lightweight. And then a couple of women as well. So, I mean, it's was, it was pretty good. Awesome. awesome. The training room is, man, super tough. The, the owner, uh, his name's Amir. And, man, he pushed, he pushed us pretty hard. It was, uh, it was definitely a solid camp. Man, man, I would, I would like I said, I just want to go there. But let's, uh, let's have Danny get that question about, man, it's so awesome you guys, you guys uh, train with your family. So, Danny. Yeah, I feel like that's another big part that like that's something that I noticed with a lot of academies that are successful is they have members of their family helping them out either like with the administrative stuff or for you guys it's even with the jujitsu and the teaching. So like what obviously you talked a little bit about like how that's kind of like your backbone it kind of lets you like have peace of mind when you go to compete or travel. But like what are some of the other benefits of just having so many people around you that can kind of fill in the gaps when you guys are doing your competition training or needing to rest or whatever? Yeah, it's it's like that. Uh, sometimes it, it gets annoying because that's about all we do is jujitsu. But it's yeah. cool. there's uh, 
eight of us in the family and all of us train. Like even my four-year-old daughter, she's, she's already training. Uh, my wife trains, his wife trains, um, little sister, mom and stepdad, like we're full force. Uh, you know, it really helps because that makes for a big instructor team, like out the gate. From, from day one, we had a, a big instructor team when we just had 20 students on the mat. So, you know, leading on now, it's always a positive environment. Like that's, I think that's the most important thing when you have a gym is like that positive kind of family environment you know it just it bleeds a good environment uh so we've had that from day one with the family because it's you know it's us we want to hang out with each other so it's fun you know we even more grinding training super hard you know trying to make a bloodbath of each other it's still fun at the end of the day that's awesome so we also have one more instructor his name's trevor as well just shout out to trevor because he'll get mad if i don't shout him out yeah. <laughs> he's like a brother to us man yeah he's been with us since basically day one as well uh he's he's brown belt so he's super super tough as well adopted brother yeah yes, basically for sure yeah he's here every day grinding with us and teaching all the classes with us as well dang that's awesome yeah it's gotta be that's gotta be a uh the dinner table at thanksgiving has to be like hey one slip up someone's gonna get choked Oh, right. absolutely. Like, you, there's no, like, my mom can't beat me up now because she can. Like, you guys, that's your fault. You guys well, taught her I'll try to do that. <laughs> you know, uh, he's showing out who he's beat and she's, you know, whoever I beat and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we have our mom out here just throwing out Pan Am gold medals. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Dang. So. She she brought you into this world and she, you guys taught her how to take you out of it. That's yeah, your, that's your prerogative. It's out of the world. Dang. <laughs> yeah, and then you even taught your daughter jujitsu, so she's allowed to talk back. She can do whatever yeah. she wants. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, she'll come up and just surprise chokehold you. It's <laughs> thing. It's funny though, like you know when when you teach when a four year old kind of gets it too because you guys are kids coaches when they kind of get how to choke. There's some four or five year olds that are pretty strong. Like they like if you're not careful and you get caught by surprise, they'll put your ass to sleep, man. And you like you, man. you I had to like tap and like pry their arm off. I was like, get off me. We had like a seven or eight year old one time, one of the teachers, like I was one of the juvenile instructors, he was like seventeen. And he's rolling with one of the kids and he didn't think the kid was gonna like actually be able to choke him and the seven year old choked him out. Like it's so bad. It's hilarious at the same time. It is so sad. I can't. Just anyway. pushes him off of him. It's like, what's going on here? Dang. Can you imagine waking up and a seven-year-old girl is standing over you? Yeah. And she just killed you. Right. <laughs> Dang, that's that the most awesome. dehumanizing thing. Wow. That's funny. So you guys want to talk about some some of your other like influences coming up? Like obviously Lucas, I'm sure Ed was a big influence. Like when you were like juveniles, like who were some of the guys that you were watching that were winning the worlds or just having really good uh, competitive results? Uh, Cobrania, the Mendez brothers, like always love watching like for their jujitsu. Man, their jujitsu is amazing. Um, so I watched like I used to study. I was like a nerd when I was a kid. Man, studied jujitsu all day long if I wasn't doing jujitsu. And like Cobrania. The Mendez brothers like were a big influence on my jiu-jitsu. For me, it had to be like Lolo, Kyotera, uh, man, uh, what is his name? Uh, Buchesha, right? Like all those the bigger guys, right? Were more what my eyes were on. Besides, of course, Kyotera was a rooster weight, but I like watching, especially Lolo, go crazy, right? That's my my favorite styles of fights. Uh, yeah, all those guys. Of course, and then yours and those brothers, like te technique, technical wise, 
uh, Cabrinha, technically wise, right? But my favorite ones are Leandro, Calatera, and Lucas, and Bochesha. Like my, those are my top four for sure. Nice. But I wasn't like, as hard like him. He he would study all day, day in, day out. He just watched like, him at the event. I was just <laughs> tournaments. Like, oh, I like watching that guy. Yeah, I feel like everybody, like a lot of people coming up around the same time that you and I did, Austin, liked Leandro Lowe. Because I, I remember we just saw him at BGJ Stars. Danny and I were watching, and I was like a fanboy again. And this guy's good. Oh, like yeah. I said, it's weird being a black belt, and like that guy will be in my division at Worlds. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of awkward now that like well, I'm gonna I'm I'm when I fight him I'm gonna fight him and I'm gonna go as hard as I can for sure and I'm not gonna be any less confident but like watching him and not having that like that guy's a competitor but just being a fanboy seeing Leandro like get up and do the thing and you're like oh yeah. like, it's, it's like old times circle and oh dude that's yeah that's exhausted so and then suits the guy he'll mm-hmm. be breathing heavy sweating like a pig and just look defeated right. <laughs> I think it's funny that, like, we had AJ Soza on. I tell the story a lot, but, like, I'll tell it again. Uh, th- apparently, he just, that like, it sounds like, <gasps> and, like, that's how he sounds. And that's, like, uh, that'll freak me right out. If I was on bottom, I was like, this guy got, a, like, a lung infection. He's fighting <laughs> me right now. It's COVID, man. Get out of here. <laughs> this guy dying on top of his life. dying. Like, the match just started. He's having a heart Why attack. It would be like a minute into the fight, Leandro's just <gasps> – you're like, this guy is 82 years old, but he looks like he's 25. <laughs> it's crazy. The guy I felt like, like at BGJ Stars, he didn't look quite as tired as he normally does. Maybe. I didn't watch <laughs> BGJ Stars, but I think my favorite fights when him and Buchesha just lay on the mat after they fought. They're just dying together. Yeah. Yeah, those are all awesome. crazy. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I think what, what I'm going to do when I fight him is – I'm going to wait until he starts doing the, the breathing heavy, and then I'm just going to act even more tired, but I won't be tired. So if he's like, <laughs> I'm going to be contest. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to do that and see how freaked out he gets and see if that's my mental advantage. You know what I mean? If he's like, damn, this guy needs a doctor, medic, you know? Right. So, Austin, you were talking about how, like, your style is, like, really unique and, and different. It's not, like, very conventional. And I feel like that's something that, – just been studying jiu-jitsu more noticing that like every high level competitor seems to have a pretty unique style so when you were like watching those people were you like trying to pick things up for them or was your style just kind of developed just from like being on the mat and trying different things it was it was definitely developed by watching a little bit right like fan kind of fanboying over the guys like Longolo, right that just went absolutely crazy right like he was my probably number one idol at the time because they, no one was expecting it, right? You, they'd be fighting jujitsu and it'd be super technical back and forth, right? Lonjo would be dying and then he would just go crazy, right? And do techniques that no one, that no one taught him that, right? No one was like, hey, Leonjo, you should do this. Leonjo just did it, right? He just had that it factor that uh, I'm just gonna go crazy and see what happens, right? So I started to try to do that in the academy, right? I was already crazy and a little spazzy and. Not very technical, and a few bloody noses or two. Definitely, <laughs> right? Like, I actually broke broke my mom's nose in one training oh, session. Oh man! Yes, yes. Oh, oh no! My no first way. ever advanced class, right? I wasn't old enough to be in the class. They invite me in. My instructors invite me in. Like, okay, Austin, you can. We're going to start letting you do this. Second round. <laughs> Second. <laughs> like, just pretend you're Leandro Lowe. Go. Right. And my elbow drops right on her face. Right there. It breaks her nose. I didn't get to do advanced class for another six months. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Poor yeah. mom. 
poor Mama Orande was like, why are you breathing so heavy, Austin? Knee cuts. Boom. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was a little bit of learning, but it was also me being like, I want to be like that. You know, I want to fight like that. And then also I, I had the less crazy side of me that pits 50-50 and stalls the whole time, which is most of the time what's out. You know, don't let Austin get up on the scoreboard on you. Yeah, I'm up on the scoreboard. I'm going to coast. <laughs> that, hey man that but you know what i feel like too many people bag on that like what do you guys think i think that dude like there's rules in a fight you should play that's your fault get you know get better at sweeping a little bit exactly. right get, get better at escaping 50 50 i i agree right i would rather honestly me personally i would rather watch the ibjjf style of stalling and 50 50 than watch someone grab a straight ankle and hold for seven minutes like you know fight to win so you're like, saying that IBJJF stalling style is better than fight to win stalling style? For me to watch personally, right? Oh, I, me too, dude. My eyes were starting to cross when I was watching Tex Johnson versus Rafael Lovato. I was yeah. starting to be like, you know what? This is not. This is not jujitsu. This is kind of weird. And they were trying to ask me like, you know, what rule set could you innovate to make the best? And I was like, there's gonna be no rule set. With, I mean, any sport you play, there's always holes in the game, and people are gonna play to the holes. I mean, there's no way of getting around it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that there's opinion, a, a little bit, though. Danny, go on. I was just going to say, I feel like because jiu-jitsu has the sport aspect and the martial art aspect, people expect you to fight a certain way. But, like, in any sport, you're just going to compete to win. That's yeah. the whole goal. You're not going to – you're not like, oh, this guy went for the kill. Like, we respect him, the guy who's, like, shooting threes from half court. Like, the, the basketball team is just trying to win. Yeah. Like, they don't yeah. really care how they do it. Yeah, so, exactly. I, yeah, I, I feel like in, in the sport aspect of jiu-jitsu, your goal – should be to win so however you can strategize and whatever positions you prefer you should you should use yeah yeah i, I mean they, me sometimes yeah, i don't play the game a lot of times i'll try to go like submit the guy or you know just go hard to try to you know get a pass or something it's like you should have just coasted there you're winning mm-hmm. yeah so. i think there's a difference in coasting and like outright stalling though like if i'm holding 50 50 and i'm actually trying to like better the position like get into a position where i can safely get out to pass or okay, I'm keeping my balance. I'm trying to go. For, I'm actually trying to go for a footlock, which I guess is kind of you know gray area because you can man. Some guys get Academy Awards for their performances, but <laughs> you, I think the only way that you could ever make somebody think twice about stalling is by like a penalty for stalling is a demerit or like it's a taken away point. Because then people would be like, well, I don't. I'm up by an advantage. If I get a point taken away, I have a negative point. I don't even have zero anymore. I have negative one points. I think that's the only way you could ever really do it is by sca- like fear mongering, like scaring right. people into not wanting to stall. Because other than yeah, that, and like I don't even agree. Like man, if it's my in a ten minute match, if I get beat by like an advantage or like it's I can't sweep in the last, man, that's a I shouldn't feel too bad. You know what I mean? Like that's like even fight. Like damn, yeah. maybe next time I go out there and I do better. Or I don't know. I think about competition a little bit differently now too than i used to i used to get super mad at 50 50 and now like when i first started learning the pell guard recently i was like this is stupid this is just glorified 50 50 people just think this is cool it's the same thing but it's <laughs> maybe it is the same thing but damn dude like he's man he made like 18 grip switches to get that lapel guard going and you didn't do nothing about it like what is wrong with you my, my thing is too like for me right i play a lot of 50 50 like that was my whole game plan throughout the whole like, pan ams i there was not one fight that didn't go to 50-50 in the no-gi portion of it. And, uh, man, sometimes you just have to fight me like I'm fighting you, right? Like, I'm always – I'm pit 50-50. I'm not trying to just hold, right, because I am never, I was never up. My Dang. game plan was to pit 50-50 and then attack, 
right, and make the advantages, make the submission attempts. And the moment you stop moving, I'm back on the attack, right? Mm -hmm. So I think Igor had, like, the best idea of it, right, which was just to stay there, right? Stay there until I moved, escape the – he would escape the moment I start moving, he would escape the 50-50, and then he was passing the whole time, right? Back in 50-50, I go, I try to sweep, try to sweep, try to sweep, and every time I tried to sweep, his leg would come out, right? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes you gotta, you know. Yeah, that fight was pretty exciting. You gotta take your time, not just like, oh, I'm here, you know, and now he's gonna hold me. Like, the guys get mad at it when it's like, if you just take your time, you know, let 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 me get a penalty, right? The moment I get one penalty, I'm gonna start moving, and then there's your opportunity to escape. For yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I feel like too, like Damian mentioned, like he'll when he's on top or whatever, he even if he's up, he'll try to pass or he likes to like go for submissions. I feel yeah. like for some people, their style. Like, if they try to stall, they end up doing worse. Or if they try to, like, control a position and not always go forward, they end up doing worse. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that's true? I agree with him. When he when he tries this, he, he doesn't do as well because he doesn't practice it, right? Like, in the training, my own, I'll have days where my only goal is to sweep Damien and then just stay on top. Beat you 2-0. That's not, what he wants to do. Literally not even. <laughs> <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't ever try to do that, right? He's constantly going forward. He's like a... Uh, a five seven hobbit bulldozer right <laughs> hobbit bulldozer <laughs> damn that's Titus right there uh, oh i'm a half a foot taller than that's, you, so that's the, yeah, welcome to I'm my life the hobbit bulldozer damn it's okay i'm like a, i'm like a foot taller than danny too it makes it it's all right yeah I'm also <laughs> Except we're not seven, brothers so. so i can just i can just press end call and i'm done with danny you can't I'm not a bulldozer though i'm just a hobbit that's <laughs> i feel like jujitsu can be equated a lot to like talking to a girl you know what I mean? If you try to be anything but yourself, it's not going to work out because eventually you're going to have to be yourself and then you're going to lose or something like that. You know what I mean? If she doesn't like you. So in jiu-jitsu, you just got to go out there and be yourself. And I like that. Hey, listen, I'm a guy who uh, sometimes – and Danny, can, Danny has seen this happen to me. I go way too hard and like I'm against Michael Lira. I went out there thinking I was going to cream Michael Lira and Michael Lira destroyed me in front of everybody, right? Embarrassing. Flow grappling highlight. And that was a big wake-up call for me to be like, damn, I really thought I was going to go out there and kill that guy. I don't ever kill anybody. Sometimes I do, but like not because I went out there and thought I was going to destroy them. Same thing, like if I go out there and think I need to stall against this guy, you're better off just playing who yeah. you are and how you are, and then that'll work out better. Obviously, there's some times where like against Hudson, when I fought Hudson Mateos, I was like, damn, I am not that strong. Like I, th I decided that mid-fight, I was like, I need to just, I need to just avoid his 50-50. So it's different mid-fight, and that comes with experience. But I do – I think that's why, like like with you, Austin, your 50-50 game is incredible. I'm never going to tell you not to do that. If I, if me, if you were ever – if I was a coach and I was like – I see a student like Austin Orande, I'm like, dude, let's just expand that. Make your whole game around getting to 50-50 and options if it doesn't work instead of just being like, 50-50's late. You shouldn't stall. Like, it's jujitsu. It's a position. Yeah. It's part of it. Yeah, stop being a baby. People who don't like 50-50, you know? The heel hooks change. Man, I'm, exci I'm excited and scared for the heel hooks at the same time. Yeah, just don't get your knee all busted up, bro. Yeah. <laughs> if, you get caught in a, if you get caught in a heel hook, don't be a hero. You know what I mean? Th gauge it. Don't tap early, right? But if you're caught and just like, uh, this is my... So don't my, call meow. <laughs> Paul meow is yeah, different. He doesn't have anything. His legs are... The dude is like freaking... I think he got experimental treatment on his uh his knee well, to yeah, put his knee down knee surgery. Hands in there now. <laughs> the, yeah. they, they told him like hey we're working on this new thing 
or we're going to make uh, military-grade human beings where if they get their legs chopped off, they don't feel it. We're going to use <laughs> you as the example to where anytime you get put in a heel hook or, <laughs> or anything like that, your knees and your feet, you don't feel nothing. Yeah, that sounds all right. <laughs> that sounds about right to me, yeah. Paul Meow, uh, if you want to come on the Open Guardcast and talk about your um, your weird knees, <laughs> come on. <laughs> So, so what was your initial, what was your guys' initial reaction when you heard about the heel hooks, and then have you like started adjusting your training so far to to adapt to the new rules? Before they announced it, we already kind of started working a little bit, because uh, eventually we do want to do like beta CC trials to test ourselves there and see see what happens. So it's not something we're like not oblivious like oblivious to. We we've already been working it. We're already starting to adjust it. Uh, we have some DVDs we're working with um, to try to improve that side of the no gi as well. Yeah, excitement. It was more more excitement than anything yeah. else because just more opportunity to try try the stuff. Especially because as of right now, we hear it's only gonna be for the my my biggest worry in the beginning was like you know my mom is a brown belt, my dad is a brown or uh, gonna be a brown belt hopefully one day soon, right? And I was like, man, why are we gonna let them do hill hooks? Like that sounds terrible. And uh, listening, you know, as a referee, hearing that maybe. It might be just the adult divisions, right? The adult brown and black belt mm-hmm. divisions will get heel hooks. So that, yeah. that is my only, my only worry was the older generation. class of jiu-jitsu, right? The older generation of jiu-jitsu, you know? So that was put at ease. So now it's just now excitement. It's game time. It's game time. It's ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like it would be difficult if you added heel hooks to all the Masters divisions, um, especially since a lot of those guys have been competing for a long time and they're so used to the rule set. But I think at the at the brown and black belt adult, it's definitely going to be a great thing for the sport. Yeah. Or, I mean, even you look at like the guys that haven't been competing for 20 years. They've, they're they fairly new segment in jiu-jitsu. They have a everyday job, and they just go compete jiu-jitsu for fun. Like He doesn't want to go out there and get his leg obliterated. Yeah, 100%. Because you know in a tournament, somebody gets a hold of a heel, they're just going to start rolling on as hard as they can. And whatever happens, yeah. happens. Yeah. So you train with a lot of uh, Masters competitors, Jake. Have you talked to any of them about the, the heel hook rules, what their opinions are? Their opi- my opinion, here's what I told them being a coach. I was like, hey, if you're smart, uh, you won't sign up for the adult division. <laughs> <and> no gi. <laughs> just don't do it. Um, you should be like, you yourself. Do it all. Now you're like, no, don't. Yeah, no. It's Come on. You're going to go, okay. Some brown belt, like, let's say you, like, this is a realistic thing that happens, right? <coughs> we have a brown belt at our academy named John Pfeiffer. John Pfeiffer is just about the craziest Masters competitor I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> that guy will do, he fights harder than me in tournament. Like, oh, hard. he's insane. His gas tank is incredible. He's 38 years old. He can fight, like, he's five fights in a tournament. Wow. He's, like, he's 38 years old. That guy... If he was like, oh, I want to ride the bull, this is what he says. He's like, sometimes you got to ride the train, cowboy. That's what he says to everything that I tell him not to do. He's like, hey, what if I want to do it? I'm like, listen, man, it's a recommendation. <laughs> I get it, but this is kind of me telling you don't do it. <laughs> He's like, I kind of like the heel hooks. I'm like, oh, <laughs> challenge, challenge accepted. Like, no, you gotta. So have you ever had a surgery on your knees? He's like, no, but I've had it on my elbow. I'm like, okay, well, this is worse. <laughs> like, just don't do it. But I'm he's uh, he's kind of a guy way. that like he understands the danger too. You know, I would say that uh, their opinion on it is that it's gonna be fun to watch because I think that nogi is pretty fun to watch, especially high level nogi. Um, you get you get, but I think that 
we're just on the cusp of how exciting it could be because it's still bad wrestling. I think, I think that the wrestling level, like Cody's, the reason why Cody Steele is so exciting is because his wrestling is actually pretty okay. And then you wonder why Nikki Rod did good is because his wrestling is even more okay. Yeah. And then you think, oh dear, what if GSP got into jiu-jitsu? That's what people are talking about right now. If GSP got into jiu-jitsu, he'd take everybody down in ADCC. He would take every single well, he, person he down. He did ADCC. No, I know he did, but like yeah. we're talking even now. Nowadays, he's, yeah. he's not that old, right? He's like 34, 35. The wrestling level is like not super high. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. super high, just across the board. I'm not picking out specific people and saying this guy's wrestling sucks. I'm saying that generally, it's like yeah. my wrestling, dude. If if my wrestling were equated to like a belt in jujitsu, I'd be a purple belt in karate. You know what I mean? Like I would not, I would not be in jujitsu. So it's I not a jujitsu belt. You're like I'd be a karate yellow that's, belt. That's my point. Is like I, I'm not even there yet. So I uh, I think that wrestlers who succeed like let's say khabib Nurmagomedov wanted to do adcc i'm not sure how he would do against jiu-jitsu guys but i know he'd be able to get the fight to the ground because he's a sambo world champion so that's like and that's the cool thing about adccs too i'm bringing this up because that's where we see the most wrestling Mm -hmm. is it's not i think a common misconception is that it's a jiu-jitsu tournament it's a submission grappling tournament Mm -hmm. so like people like khabib yeah people like sambo world champions can probably do super well because that's the rule set you know what I mean? We saw Nikki Rod avoid everything and beat Roberto, uh, Cyborg. So not Roberto Jimenez, but he R- Roberto beat him. Man, that was cool too. Roberto's Roberto's sick, dude. He he beat me twice now, but I love him. I'm a fan. Man, we used to fight all the time as a kid. Oh, yeah. he broke my foot off, dude. You and Roberto used to fight, Austin? Yeah, we're actually uh, before we uh, we actually became good friends through fighting. Yeah. Right. We're two, two, and one draw in competing. Of course, now he would maul me and just rip my head off. But, uh, you know, he's the one that introduced us to Luke. Like, after we started fighting a lot, he introduced us to Lucas. I used to go train at his academy at Open Mats. Yeah, so we used uh, to train together a lot. You know, just go hang out with them. They're good friends of the family. You know, my mom and his mom are good friends. Me and him are good friends. It just it just worked out, you know. Mm-hmm. Raul is cool. I like Raul. I like Raul. Raul's crazy, man. One time he uh, do you remember? Do you remember? Oh, you guys were refereeing. Do you remember a third cuss when he was shouting at Gustavo? Uh, Roberto was fighting. He was like, ten thousand dollars, Gustavo. You could buy a new car. <laughs> I don't so we weren't that, we were that one. I don't think. Oh, you weren't at that one. That was the first one. That was the when first. I lost the Gabe Arges and Gustavo was fighting. Uh, he's fighting <laughs> oh, Arges no, and Raul didn't like. Yeah, uh, yeah, Raul doesn't like Gracie Baja, so uh-huh. he was like, "Come on, Gustavo." He was yelling for me. He's like, Pega, Jake, Pega. I'm like, this fight just started. Like, this is just your hands. Pega, catch him. So I, I can't do that yet. Um, man, that was so funny. Raul's, Raul's an animated dude. And then later he'll be like, calm. Like, oh, man, it's so good Zen. to meet you. Thank you. They're like, dude, yeah, this guy's. They were going to dinner. He's very chill, relaxed, whatever. Man, it's like they save Roberto and Raul save all their energy and all their excitement just for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Right, like, you know, off the mat, Roberto's chill and calm. Man, he's on the mat, he's crazy. You know, ninety yeah. nothing. Raul, outside of the tournament, super cool, easy, relaxed. At the tournament, just screaming and yelling and. That's so funny. Houston <laughs> hasn't been the same since he moved to Las Vegas. Oh yeah, he's in Vegas <laughs> now, huh? He just yeah. scream, and you, you knew Raul was there. All right. Speaking of refereeing, this is kind of an interesting segue. You guys have been refereeing a lot. You guys referee Kumite, but before that, you're refereeing IBJF. How, like, take us through that. Like, when, what made you guys want to start to do that, too? I'm sure that that guy, that helps you, that guy, that helps you guys as a coach. Like, 
as individual coaches, being able to know the rules and attend the rule seminars and be yeah. actively involved in it has got to help you guys out as coaches. But how did you guys get started? So I got started, uh, man, I was like 16, 17, local in, uh, like refereeing local events uh, as a blue belt. And it just started there. Like, I was like, if I want to be a better competitor, you have to know the rules. So I started doing local events from blue and purple. Uh, once I got my brown belt, uh, that's when you can start refereeing with IBGJF is brown. So uh, my first year, I just did competitions as a brown belt, you know, got in the groove at brown and all that stuff. And then uh, last year, I decided to jump on the referee team and start to understand the IBGJF more. Uh, and just little by little, each event that comes up, we're like, okay, we want to work this one. We put our application there. Uh, just to, that's literally the only reason we want to referee is just to build our knowledge of the rules even better. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's kind of the same story, right? Locally, a lot. Uh, and then early this year, right? Because I got my uh, brown belt in September of last year. Uh, early this year, I did the rules seminar. I learned so much from doing the seminar and taking the test, right? I just wanted to like grow my knowledge as a competitor. And I've always been a real gamer when it comes to competing, right? Like knowing all the scores and ready to like game, not game the system, but you know, follow the rules and play it. Use to the it. system. Use yeah. the system, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, exactly. So uh, I passed the, the test or whatever. You had to make over a certain number to be a referee. And he, he was already refereeing. So I was like, you know, interested in that. Did the third coast refereeing thing. And then I just started refereeing for the IBJJF in... Two events ago. Like two, yeah. Houston Open. Houston Open. And then I did Nogi Pan Ams in Atlanta. I'm going to do the Nationals. And then I'm I'm still in the trainee program as well. They have like a slow program where you start as a trainee referee. Mm-hmm. You get like a headset where if you make any mistakes, they tell you inside your headset like, hey, no, it's supposed to be this way. And it's it's a super cool program actually. Wow, that's Most awesome. Most tournaments ever I've ever seen do that that professionally, right? You have a one of their you know senior referees, senior referees or highest level guys with a you know you have a mic in your ear and they're telling you, hey, no, you're supposed to call it like this. Like that, and it's been just a great experience to learn and see the the thought process, right? Because there's so many calls I used to see and go, man, that makes no sense. <laughs> now hearing the IBJJF side of it, right, the the way the rules are created, the system to the madness, man, it all just makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because I feel like that's something that even a lot of high-level competitors still say is that there's there's gray area in the rules or there's stuff that's subjective, would you say after going through the course and learning it, do you feel like it's it's not as subjective as what is what it's people not nearly as what say? people think? Yeah, right. Like there is still some moments in there that are subjective, but really what is is rules and then your jujitsu knowledge on top of the rules, right? So your knowledge of jujitsu has to fill in the blanks, right? Mm-hmm. And once we all know that, like there's fu- solid fundamental things we teach in jujitsu, right? And this is a great example they use all the time. Single leg defense, right? If you're in a single leg, is your defense taught in the academy to push someone into a wall or push them out of bounds? I don't teach that in my academy. No. Right? No one yeah. no one teaches in the third side of their academy. So why would that be something you can do in the tournament? You can't. Yeah. You know? yeah so for sure. Sure. It's uh I would recommend to any competitor to go do the rule seminar and at least try, you know. Yeah, I feel like th- that was a great example with the single leg. Like, the, you, you're mindful of the way people are defending it because you know the correct way to defend it. So if they're doing something that's not, I mean, I'm using air quotes, like 
technically correct or normal to like get out of bounds or something, then you know kind of what yeah, call to make. Exactly. So they use it uh, like that. Like whatever, if it's defended pro- properly, then it's okay. But then that's when stuff starts getting gray as well. The guy went out of bounds or the guy did this. Well, was that the proper way to defend the position? No. So you're going to score it like this. Are there any other examples that they kind of use? Like, because I thought the single leg one was really interesting and, and helpful for people to understand. Is there any other like submissions or positions? Let me think. Just just the progression. Like when people start talking about like penalties and stuff, uh, so jiu-jitsu I, is all about progression. So this is a good one. Stalling, right? So stalling is not just you not moving, right? It's like if like if I'm not moving. That's not stalling, right? But if I'm not only not moving, but I'm hindering you from moving, mm-hmm. that is when it's called stalling, right? So if I'm in closed guard, my feet are just crossed, and I'm just laying there. I'm not doing anything, right? I'm not going to get stalled unless I'm stopping you by like holding your head or breaking your grips only and not letting you do mm-hmm. anything, right? Then my intention becomes to not only mean stop moving, but to make you stop, stop moving as well. progression of the fight. Right, it's so like you'll see that a lot, right? The guys will be playing guard, and all they're doing, they're laying on the back playing guard, but the guy on top's not passing or not trying to pass. The guy on bottom's not holding them down, and then you have the guys on the sideline yelling for stalling. It's like that's not stalling. Mm-hmm. Both guys are not moving, right? Like that's them stalling together, or that's no stalling at all, right? Mm-hmm. The guy's waiting for you to try to pass his guard. So, yeah, I, was- so I, I do have a specific question. I don't know if you guys saw the match. I think it was at the Austin Open. It was the featherweight black belt final. I think Isaac Doderline and Hichar, or I don't know how to pronounce his name. Noguera is his last name. Um, um, so Isaac, yeah, Isaac was stacking him, and he had his hips off the mat, and he had his knees behind his lower back to like to keep his hips off the mat. And he got called for stalling. Um, yeah. He was, you know, he couldn't really move backwards because he needed to keep uh, Noguera's hips elevated. But he got the stalling call, and that that one was really confusing for me. So do you happen to? I don't know if you saw the match, but yeah, we got to, we didn't get to talk about it. Uh, of course, there's always like, that's a gray area. You know, what was that referee? And that's a lot of stuff is like, what is the referee feeling? Is he feeling that the guy on top was not progressing? Was he just like stalling the position? I didn't actually see this fight. Yeah, I know, I know the fight. They're I know they're talking about though. I saw Isaac make a post about it, but yeah. So that's, that's when it starts to get gray is like, cause that was a referee and referee discretion. He felt the guy. Uh, was not progressing forward. So maybe he felt Isaac was just trying to hold that position and not trying to pass. He was just trying to maybe tire him out or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know on that one. Interesting. Being a referee is stressful. This is the bottom line that we can get yeah. out yeah. of this. What's to be a referee? Man, Man I, can, I, I have so much respect for you guys because like, I think about – I watch a lot of matches, and I always like see little spots. I'm just like, if I was in the ref's position, I would have no idea what to do. A million yeah. people would be screaming at me. <laughs> it would be yeah. awful. Man, we had an interesting one at the Pans Nogi that was just like uh, using using jujitsu knowledge to uh, score the position because like we were like, what do we do? So like it was a girls' fight and they went to pull together, but one clear when she jumped to pull, she cleared and went straight to the mount. Oh, so, that was uh, checkmate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I forgot her name. Her last name's Ribera. But she cleared straight to the mount. So it was like she wasn't playing guard. The other girl wasn't playing guard yet, so it wasn't a guard pass. 
with the score ended up getting, she ended up getting four for the mount and then one advantage for a come on top because the intention of the fight was to be a double pool. Mm, so it, okay. Yeah, the intention was to be in a double pool together, but she ended up on top in the mount, so she uh, was awarded an advantage. Natalie Hibero, right? Yeah, yes. Natalie yeah. Hibero. Right. Yeah, that was that was incredible. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was like she she they double pulled, but she like cleared her legs in the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay, so that takes a little bit of jujitsu knowledge. I like the way you explain that. Like you have to act, you have to know a little bit of how the fight goes and mm. what they were both trying to so do. That was to that was the points. I was I was one of the third referees on that match, and I was looking. And I was like, what what is going to be the score now? And uh, it took Rico a second. He came and talked to me about it, and it made sense on how and why he scored it that way. And that was the example he used. Yeah, because I would think like to get the sweet points, someone would have to be established as like the top player. Yeah, right? there has to be a bottom player. There has to be a top and player. At that point, no one's playing bottom. No one's playing top. So, so the intention was to be a double pool. Yeah, interesting. That's where like Dang. some of these so a lot of these sweeps come into play too, right? Of like people will say that it should be two points this way, two points that way, <clears throat> and a sweep scramble can last for ten, fifteen seconds, right? It can be a crazy exchange exchange right but mm -hmm. it's all about the intention of the exchange right so like people will take a clip of it and they won't understand that like that five seconds tells you nothing right mm -hmm. they if you chop down five seconds you'll get one conclusion but if you watch the whole 15 seconds right you reverse it 10 seconds you'll see the intention was completely different and it'll be scored a different way so yeah another one that always confuses not confuses me but it just makes me like empathize with you guys so much is the double pull. Like whose butt hits the mat first? Because I so, always feel like it's always so close, and there's just like some one person could see it one way. Like depending on your angle, you could, someone could be blocking yeah. the yes, other person. The referee, like just know this. Like if the referee is unclear and the referee doesn't know, it's a double pull. If it was so fast you can't see it, you don't understand it, it's a double pool. You score it as a double pool. And the thing is, too, if y'all both initiate at the same time, right? Say you have Muhammad Ali fighting Mikey Musumeshi, right? Whose butt's going to hit the ground first, right? If they both initiate at the same time, yeah, right? But it's still going to be considered a double guard sit because they initiated pulling guard at the same time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know? That was something that uh, they taught me in the rules course that I thought was pretty cool. So just because you're bigger, as long as you both try to sit down at the same time, you are starting to sit, It's you all initiated the double pull together, right? Just because Damien's 5'7 and a hobbit, <laughs> six, pool, six foot tall and giant, right, doesn't mean he's always going to pull guard first. Well, he has a better chance. I mean, if, if being short was good for anything – uh i would say being short for a nice uh a it's nice for quick... a lot of things jake no it's <laughs> let's not kid ourselves uh yeah, exactly thanks jake <laughs> you know what's funny is the height difference between you and your brother is nearly the height difference between me and you austin so oh man we're we're uh come on bro we're above six feet brothers come on man <laughs> 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 six three dude's like i'm six foot you jake six, is on your side and he just throws you under the bus yeah bro Come six on. three and a half man. <laughs> get above six two and then talk to me child oh. <laughs> i'm just kidding that's horrible i didn't expect the danny come on man you incited a fight you know how i, feel about <laughs> you know how I defend myself 
That's funny. So, so do you guys want to talk about some of the some of the goals you have, like competing, refing, goals you have with your academy, stuff like that? All of it. Everything. Yeah. All the yeah. goals. <laughs> yeah, we, our gyms, man. We want to have like the 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 sky's the limit with the gym. You know, just gonna keep growing. We want to have you know top level athletes. We already have a few that are coming up through the ranks. Uh, we want to have those kids on the top of the podium and we we will you guys are gonna see like soon we'll have some top level kids coming out of here uh as far as competition you know our goal is always that world championship you know it'll come one day we're gonna keep the head down keep grinding uh and then somebody asked me about this on the referee as well i want to referee the world championship nice referee awesome. pretty, pretty high level events pans no gi uh, master worlds uh the europeans this year i got to referee that Man, craziest experience of my life. Uh, but all top all would be the worlds as well as referee there. For me personally, my goal is black belt world champion. Other jujitsu guys goal in the world, right? Gi, no gi, doesn't matter. One title at a black belt adult, and then from there to make a champion at every level: blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, and black belt, right? Uh, and the academy, just to completely the southeast Texas area that we're in, this you know, couple cities in this you know Golden Triangle area. I want to have you know the all academy in every area, right? Where you there's no option, right? Where it's like, okay, we're you know I want to go do jujitsu, and I want them to think you know this that's that that's the only place to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Which the sky's the limit with the gym. Yeah, like I'm not trying. Texas, though, right? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, Texas is big. I was about to say, who knows? If the sky's the limit, then, I mean, that's a little lower the sky, in my opinion. <laughs> For me, I just, in my lifetime, I want to see Southeast Texas be completely a Randy Bros Jiu-Jitsu. I, I don't see why it can't happen. And then as a referee, I want to do every major event one time. One <laughs> just time. once. And then just once? Out. All right. So you want to do once. Brazilian Nationals, World's... Uh, all all of those right all the grand slam gi and no gi and then of course the master worlds and i get to do nationals coming up here soon i get to do master worlds so all right well you get you get our open guard cast seal of approval on that one for sure you definitely uh we're definitely we're definitely orande brothers fans i'm glad i know how to say your name now (laughs) just such a powerful last name orande yeah. No, jeez, yeah. the guy's silent. Everybody's I don't know. Like, no, we it's, don't like our last like, name. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's powerful because it's Spaniard. Really? Yeah. Spanish yeah. last name? Mm-hmm. My last name is just Scottish or something. It's not very exciting. <laughs> I'm just, I'm about, I'm about as white in my heritage as I look. Let me just say that. Just yeah, really, too. really, just not as German, Scottish, Irish. Like, I don't have nothing exotic about me or <laughs> in the least watson, watson. Yeah. Yeah. middle name is michael like everybody else <laughs> my first name is jake which is kind of like jacob he's got the three whitest names right yeah. yeah yeah you really do i got two not not quite three but i got two austin kane 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 oh that's funny because your brother uh your brother's middle name let me guess abel <laughs> <laughs> horrible that is not a funny joke yeah, that was pretty I funny. Know. I knew that one. Austin's like, yeah, it is. Pulls out a knife. <laughs> Dang it. 
it's almost open, open mat time. Yeah. Oh, is it? Right. Well, hey. Uh, then we'll we'll go ahead and we'll thank. Uh, do you guys have any sponsors you want to thank before you go out there? Moya Brand. Always. Ooh, dang, that was that's cool. All right. Other than that. No, no, just no. Morning, my wife. <laughs> All right, that's good. Damien, yeah. you're a little late there on that I one. <laughs> late there on that one, didn't uh, didn't make up both your wives, families. So, so remember, you guys can go to orandebrosjujitsu.com. Look, if you're ever in the uh, southeast Texas area and you want what could what is going to be the best jujitsu in that area, if not already. Miles east of Houston. 30 miles west of uh, Orlando, Florida. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yes, 30 miles east of Houston. Uh, or 90. 90. 90 miles east. Good job, oh, Danny. Misinforming the public. Hey, yeah. welcome back to Newsweek Guardcast. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, but yeah, you guys can follow them there. Follow them on not only Orande Bros Jiu Jitsu on Instagram, but also their respective Instagrams, which is Austin Orande BJJ. And uh, no, actually, it's Gumby Jiu Jitsu. And then yours is Damien Orande BJJ, right? Orande BJJ. Orande BJJ. Yes, sir. Awesome. We're going to include social media links in our in our thing so I can't mess it up any further. We want to thank uh, <laughs> Election Performance. You can use our Open Garcast discount code, Open Garcast 25 if you want to get thick, mean, lean, and swole, and be as smart with your gains as we are. Uh, I'm working on it. And we want to thank High Tip Photography, Chofit Cryo, Eddie from Agro Brand, and Break New Ground. You can use my discount code, Jake Watson, for 10% off their products on the website danny do you have anything else you want to add they're going uh, to so, uh, beat people Maracaba up bjj and marcio andre jiu-jitsu oh can't forget academy. my own academy dang it that's not a good look. okay i got you covered hey you know what you, they, i love them so much i forgot <laughs> i was just filling my heart so my, my mind went blank anyway thank you guys so much uh for an amazing episode we wish you guys all the best and i'll see you guys in american nationals i owe you guys a beer if that's what you're into yes sir we'll see yes, you then sir. see you then oh for cool sure all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This was episode 60, a big one, with uh, the Orande brothers, and we will see you guys soon. Thanks.